Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. good to be together. It's good to be teaching here on Sunday night. And um, <clears throat> I want to talk to you over the next three Sunday nights about something that's really deep in my heart. Um, it's quite simply, um, as you know by the title already, it's quite simply the idea and the, and the reality of spiritual awakening, of revival, that we might uh, know it as. And I'm going to explain those terms in a moment um, for maybe some of you who, who don't really understand as much what that means or don't have the same kind of background. Um, and tonight I want to just in some ways, lay more of a foundation, really, f- um, for where we're going to go over the next couple of weeks. So hopefully um, you'll find this helpful, and we'll get into more of the meat and the bones of it over the next couple of weeks. So I'd encourage you to, to come back out over the next two weeks, because I do feel like this is a series that will build. Um, <clears throat> but essentially, w- when I talk about, and when we talk about revival or awakening, uh, what, I, what, I'm, what I'm talking about is, is my belief that God's normative the normal pattern of things for humanity and for his church was revealed to us in the book of Acts. So what we see there, if you're not aware, in the book of Acts, which tells us the acts of the church, what we see there is a supernatural moving of the Spirit of God, a pouring out, a supernatural outpouring of the Spirit of God, where God's people are wholly surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, wholly passionate, wholly surrendered, desperate for his presence, they're filled with the Spirit. They're detonated, maybe is a better way to put it, by the Spirit. They're kind of blown up by the Spirit in the right sense of the world in a powerful way that spills over and produces a movement of power and of love that is pretty much unstoppable and that will impact society, culture, all around it, winning thousands for Jesus onto His glory. Right? So that's the kind of big aspirational kind of understanding of revival that what we see in the book of Acts is an unstoppable movement of the Spirit released through the people of God, and that is God's normative desire for the church, right? And times of revival that we see in church history are times when it seems like we're kind of getting back to what it was all supposed to be like. I'll fill this out a little bit more as we go. It's important for you to understand, though, that um, <clears throat> that our number one aim um, which we probably mentioned last week, um, in terms of fulfilling the vision, is that we would posture ourselves for a move of the Spirit of God in the nation. We're not going to see the story of Ireland, the city and the nations rewritten, without a move of God's Spirit. It's just going to be ideas, plans that are going to be dry, dry as a bone, without the Spirit of God upon them. And so everything we are doing is underpinned by this desire Everything that we do, ministry-wise, is really, really important. But they're all under, they, they all sit above our greatest desire, which is to see a move of God's Spirit, first and foremost. A breath of God moving upon us. And I want to propose, first and foremost, before we get into the meat of this, that that is why, actually, all of us are alive. That is why you are alive, to live in and through a move of God's Spirit. And that our day jobs, the things that we do, are simply the place that God has called us to steward the move of God. Right? Let me say it again. I think that your primary disposition in life is to live in such a way that you're experiencing and living in the reality of a move of God's Spirit. And the day job that you do is simply the place that God has called you to steward that movement. All right? So my day job happens to be leading and helping establish churches. Your day job my wife's day job is to be a dentist and to work in that sphere. But together we live over and above that for a move of God's spirit in the nation. He's just positioned us differently in terms of where we're supposed to steward that. Does that make sense? So I want to propose that that's where all of us are called to. And I really believe that we are living in a moment where the spirit of God is inviting us to play our part and get caught up in something. I feel like the Lord wants me to kind of communicate today that he wants us to get ready because a move of his spirit is coming. And so you might be at church tonight, and you might be here and going through your everyday life in Jesus and faith. And um, <clears throat> your faith might be more like a bit of an appendix to your life, if you're being honest. It's, um, 
it's, it's part of your story, but it's not the central plot of your story. You may be here and you come to church even pretty regularly, and all this talk of revival maybe sounds great, but it doesn't really maybe just resonate with you. And I suppose what I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to do tonight is he wants to kind of summon your heart. He wants to arrest your heart. He wants to even shock your heart back into the reality of why you are alive. Because you have an opportunity, I believe, over these weeks that we chat about this, you have an opportunity to, to get caught up in a move of God's Spirit. And so as I speak tonight and try my best under the grace of God to articulate what I think the Holy Spirit's doing, I feel like there might be a little part of your heart over the next few minutes and the next few weeks that just starts to beat and skip a little bit faster or with a little bit more depth and a little bit more resonance because you're starting to realize that this kind of talk is actually not something that happens out here, but something that starts in here. And that's what I think the Lord wants to do. Because my conviction is that the longing for the more of God's Spirit is actually innate within us. It's actually almost part of who we are. See, the reality is we all desire some kind of revival or renewal in our lives. Some of us want a renewal of our health. Some of us want a renewal of beauty. That's why we spend so much time trying to make ourselves look more beautiful. Some of us want a renewal of our best Facebook, Instagram profile pic. We're constantly searching for the renewal, for the new thing that will fulfill something in us. Some of us are living for a renewal in the best kind of social media post that we can put up because that will bring a revival and interest of what other people think about us. Some of us are living for a renewal of fun and of interest and of a new hobby so that it can seem like our life is a little bit more exciting than the other person that looks more exciting than us. Some of us are living for a renewal. And the way that we're living for it is actually a renewal of something old. Some of us are kind of stuck just wishing for the good old days. But within all of us, there's this desire to want something new, some kind of renewal in our hearts. Because if we don't get that, we'll feel kind of disappointed, bored. And, um, and my kind of proposition to you tonight is what you're actually longing for is God what the deep, deep ache inside your heart is and the deep longing is for the spirit of the living God. And, uh, and sometimes you have to scratch a little bit before you find that itch because it takes a while to get beyond how destructive we've become. It becomes sometimes, talking to my own heart first and foremost, it becomes, uh, we have to scratch a little bit because we've become immune to sin. We've become okay with apathy. We've told ourselves certain things to kind of pat ourselves on the back and get ourselves through. We've played the Christian game. Sometimes you have to scratch a little bit to find that deep ache. You have to get beyond, particularly as you get older, the parts that you'd start to get a little bit more cynical and a little bit more opinionated. And the hardness starts to just crust over your heart a little bit. And sometimes you have to scratch beneath that. You have to allow the presence of God to melt that because deep underneath that is a longing in our hearts to encounter the living God. And when the Spirit of God melts that hardness, when it melts that crust, when it takes away and forgives your sin and melts that apathy, we start to find this deep longing within us. It's longing for living, living water. We're not content to show up at church and just do the same thing again. We get a little bit twitchy if it feels like the same thing over and over again because we're longing and longing for something else. And I believe that that desire within us, that longing, is for what we describe as the manifest presence of God. Now, when we say the manifest presence of God, the part of God that comes and we are aware that we can experientially touch and taste of his goodness. And I think that we're living in a moment where God, in his mercy, because God's heart is broken at the moment as he looks out in this world, his heart is broken. I believe that God is, by his spirit, bringing judgment to the world. But in his judgment, mercy always triumphs. And God, in his mercy, right? Because I'm not trying to, like, play into the whole, oh, we're... we're, we're we're bad, bad, bad people, bad, all, all of that. I'm not trying to play into that narrative, but what I, what I am saying here tonight is we are not deserving of the mercy of God. We are not deserving of it in and of ourselves. And God, in his mercy, 
in his unbelievable mercy, wants to pour out his presence amongst us. And so when I talk about revival tonight, first and foremost, I'm not talking, I will talk about this, but I'm not talking first and foremost about an event in history and a time, even though that's how we refer to it. I'm talking about the deep place in each one of our hearts that it was made and made to long for the manifest presence of the living God. I'm talking about the part of us that was made for an encounter and an ongoing encounter with the presence of our Creator and the lover of our souls. And once you taste of the Spirit of God, it leaves you in a wonderful way, both fulfilled and longing for more. And some of you here tonight, this is what I want to say, I feel like already the Spirit of God is starting to speak to you because some of you know what that's like, but it's a long time since you actually tasted it. And you can come home tonight and you can encounter the presence of the living God because his presence is here tonight. His presence is here to melt everything else that has taken your focus off that. That one thing that we desire. This is what we seek. And so I'm saying all that to say this. I'm coming from a quite a personal place tonight, okay? Because I want you to understand where it's coming from. I'm saying all that to say, for me, the topic of revival has never really went away. Because, you see, when some people talk about revival, they say, they kind of roll, when I talk about revival, some people, you can almost see people rolling their eyes and say, oh, why don't you just get on preaching the Bible and loving the poor? Just do what the Bible says. And part of me kind of has been influenced by that in the past and said, well, that's probably right. You just need to get on with it. Because if I do, preach the Bible, love the poor, try and commit my life to lifting people out of poverty, sharing the good news, all of that. Maybe I should just get on with it. But I can't not let go of the part of me that believe God wants to do more. I can't not read the book of Acts and think, oh, it's just a history book. I can't not stop believing that God wants to express more of his plans and his purposes through me. I can't not stop living for the normative, which is when the movement of God's love and power comes to our lives in such a way that it is unstoppable. It cannot be tamed. It's unhindered in that way. And so as I prepared this week, I got myself thinking about how I've been longing for revival since I've been about 17. And I didn't really know what that meant then. But when I really gave my heart to Jesus as a kind of broken-hearted 17-year-old and started to pray and to taste a hunger for God's presence, because that was the point when I, and this is the key, this, that was the point when I was kind of, God, I am all in. Everything about me. Everything. You can do whatever you want with me. You know, it wasn't... <laughs> I didn't realize what it was going to mean at the time, but, but I, was, I was genuine about it. God, I am all in with you, 100%. Everything I have is yours. Do with me and my heart whatever you want it. And the verse that came into my heart at that time and seized me was in Philippians chapter 3, that I might know Christ, right? I wanted to know him. And this unashamed ambition to know Christ and to make him known, to, to the hunger and to have his presence above everything else, that became the primary ambition of my life. And when you're 17, 18, you have a lot of ambition. There's lots of things in my life that I still wanted to do, but something overtook me as I surrendered my heart to Jesus. And so I found then that because I had tasted something that I wanted more, and what I found was when I prayed with some of my friends who are here tonight, stuff just happened, and we prayed for more. We prayed for more. We prayed for God to move in power in our schools, in our streets, in our church, in our nation. And we found that as we did that, we would see the first fruits of God breaking through, saving souls. We found that you couldn't stop this. It was bigger and beyond anything that we had ever tasted before. And it just left you more and more hungry. And so we continued to pray. And then not long after that, or around the same time, Phil started the church. And we would pray a lot. And we would pray at night and maybe into the night, and maybe half nights of prayer, and we would start to talk about revival. And I didn't really know what revival meant, but I knew it had something to do with an increased awareness of the presence of God coming in a way that you couldn't stop. And it would lead people to repent and come to Jesus. And so I was kind of captured by this. But then I also became aware that there's a little bit of, there's a bit of weirdness and confusion and distortion when it came to that word revival. And by the way, there's a lot of weirdness in the church, Right? Because people are weird at times, right? We're all a bit weird. So, like, we just need to, like, 
clear up the weirdness sometimes and acknowledge that it's not always going to be perfect. But I came to realize that when I, um, when I was thinking about revival, I was aware that revival couldn't just mean a bunch of meetings for Christians to come to. I was aware that it couldn't just mean that it was something for Christians to get kind of sort of psyched up a little bit, but in a way that didn't touch the lost. I became aware that some preachers even like to talk about revival and whip up an emotion because they hadn't really prepared their talk and they didn't really know what else to talk about. Or I became aware that revival became like never-ending worship songs that we just sing and sing and sing and sing, but we don't really care about the poor and how this is going to translate into culture and society and bring reform. And so I saw all this stuff, and it kind of put me off, but I still hungered for it. And I was trying to work this all out. And then I read, and I don't have it because I can't find it because all my books are in boxes at the minute. I read Pete Gregg's book, Awakening Cry, which is his first book, and he described revival in the opening pages. And I said to myself, it was like internally I went, that's it. That's what I'm living for. The reviving of the church of Jesus Christ in a way that transforms society. And, and ever since that point, I've hungered for more of God's presence. And so some seasons I've become cynical. And some seasons I've not hungered after revival enough. Some seasons I've prayed for it. Some seasons I stopped. Because I thought it's better just to get on with it. Sometimes I've been influenced by people who, who quite simply and non-judgmentally just don't have faith for it. Who have been disappointed by life and have been disappointed maybe even by God in their own minds and hearts. That's what they felt. And so they've developed a theology of lack so they don't believe that much in the God of the more anymore. And I've been influenced by that. And so I've lived through all of those seasons and yet for all of my wanderings around this topic, here's the truth. Every time I hear the word revival, every time something fires off in my heart and spurs, Something sets off in my mind. I start to imagine what it would be like when the Spirit of God falls upon us and moves out beyond us into the streets around us. I can't get it out of my heart. I can't get it out of my mind. It's like a seed got planted into my heart when I was 17. And even if I wanted to get it out, I can't get it out. It's like there's a little fan. It's like there's a little flame in my heart. And every time I hear the word revival, it's like a wind blows and fans it a little bit more in to play. And it can be in weird places. It can be at times when people are getting carried away and all of that. I don't, I don't really care. It's when I hear that word, something in me comes alive. And so I find myself at 40 years of age now thinking that I'm thinking about it more and more than I ever have. And I don't think it's a midlife crisis. It could be, but I don't think it is. I think that after all these years, as I start to move into the second half of life, it's like God has kind of backed me into a corner, and it's all I'm living for. And I just happen, and I don't mean to say this flippantly, but I want you to get the point. I just happen to lead churches. But what I'm really living for is a move of the Spirit of God. And I wonder tonight, you have to answer this question. I wonder tonight... Are you? What are you living for? And the place that God has called you to is just the place, not just in an unimportant way, but it's the place where God has called you to steward a move of God's Spirit. And so last year on my 39th birthday, I woke up that morning and I felt the Holy Spirit whisper to me, for your 40th year, I want you to revisit and read about as many revival sites, times in history as possible in order to awaken your imagination for what this could look like in your time. And so I've tried to do that. I've been to a few places this year. Not everywhere I've wanted to get to, but I've been to quite a few. And each time I've sensed the Lord wanted to impart something into my heart, and each time I've prayed the prayer, Lord, do it again. Do it again. And so over these next Sunday nights, I want to try and help release by the power of the Spirit and imagination for spiritual awakening in our time. I don't feel I need to apologize for it anymore. I don't feel I need to kind of make excuses for I want to talk about it because it's how I want to try with the grace of God and orientate my whole life. So 
we kind of stopped using the R word for a while in our churches because of some of our misunderstandings maybe about it. But we want to see the Lord awaken our hearts. And so before we move on, I want to help us, in case you're just a little bit unaware of what I'm talking about, I want to just try and help us a little bit just to get a little bit of an orientation for what we're talking about, okay? And so this is a little bit about read, just defining some terms for us, okay? And helping us then understand where we are in the process. So when Christians, church leaders, use big terms like regeneration and restoration, now you could apply these corporately, but mostly probably we want to think about them personally. That's the process of being born again by the Spirit of God, right? So when you're regenerated, something new is generated inside your heart and spirit. You're born again. The old is gone, the new has come. Something new has happened to you, right? I know born again gets bad press these days, but it's important that we don't lose that phrase because that's exactly what happened to you when you got saved, right? You got regenerated. You got born again by the Spirit of God. And the ongoing work and transforming work of the Spirit, the process of restoration, it moves us to our original design, which is to be like Christ, okay? So when we talk about regeneration and restoration, that's when people get born again, saved by the power of the Spirit. When we talk about renewal then, that's when a, a lot of people get regenerated. Renewal is when a significant amount of believers or new believers experience the refreshment and release of the Spirit as they realign themselves with the presence of God. So we witness fresh energy around a particular promise of God. Okay? So throughout the last number of years, those of you who know a little bit of your church history will know that there's been certain renewal around certain promises of God. There's been what we've called the, called the charismatic renewal in the church, which is the renewal of the gifts of the Spirit, fresh energy coming from heaven, from the Spirit, fresh release, people getting fired up, people getting released, people getting set free, people coming into more of the fullness of what it is to live for the Lord. Okay? So that's renewal. And then Mark Sayers says this as we kind of come to revival. Right, let, me re- let me do that one first. Okay, sorry, let me do this. Revival then is <clears throat> when renewal happens on a large scale. It's an obvious sense that something supernatural is at work. God's presence is pervading earth in an almost unfiltered way, bringing kingdom advancements to whole cities, nations, or people. Mark Sayers says revival is renewal gone viral. And so, <clears throat> I just want you to help you understand, okay, how we use these terms. So, regeneration, restoration is the work that happens when we come to faith and we start the work of sanctification and transformation, where we're being discipled in the Christ-likeness. Renewal comes when a, a, a significant critical mass of people within the church start to be renewed by the Spirit of God around a particular promise of God or something God's doing in the church at that time. Revival is when that breaks out to a whole other level, not just for the reviving of the church, but for the transformation of society and an acceleration of the Holy Spirit happens where hundreds usually of people come to know the Lord. And often revival therefore starts after the process of renewal has happened in our own lives, right? Revival usually comes as a response to lots of people getting renewed by the Spirit of God. And so I am so passionate about revival, but why I want you to get the process here is because I don't think it's our current reality, right? I don't think revival is our current reality. But do I think that the work of renewing has begun? Do I think that there's embers that are being fanned in the flame of people passionate for the Lord in order to see something of his kingdom come? Yes, I think the seeds of that have started to happen, and renewal is going on in our land and in our nation. And in the process, in revival, it's like our process of renewal has um, caught up with or come into line with, the better way to say it, with God's sovereign timetable for revival. Okay? So God's sovereign timetable, God, when God moves, it comes into line with our desire to be renewed by the Spirit of God. So let me just clear something, be clear. God moves when God moves, right? Revival comes when God breaks in in the most dramatic ways in history. We can't kind of pigeonhole God to move in a certain way. Over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to try and unpack what I think are certain patterns that lead to revival, but I want to be very careful at saying we cannot prescribe God when God moves. God is sovereign 
and God is moving when God wants to move. His ways are not our ways. But alongside that, almost kind of like a double helix, kind of woven into that sovereignty of God, God moving when God moves, is a clear principle in the Bible that God moves in response to the prayers and the desires and the hunger of His people. So many promises of God in that regard. The, the most famous one is Second Chronicles. If, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. If means if. God didn't mean if as a metaphor there. He didn't mean it as a picture. I don't believe. He meant it pretty literally. If my people pray. There will be a response. And so God's sovereign timetable, His ways being beyond our ways, works alongside our hunger and desire to see the Spirit move. God is the God of revival, but man and mankind is a human agent through which revival is possible. And revival then will be an extraordinary work of a sovereign God that revives the church and transforms society. So we're not talking about just a set of meetings. Right? We're not talking about just Christians coming to a lot of meetings because they've all got a wee bit more passionate. We're not talking about a successful gospel campaign, as much as that might be part of it. We're talking about something else. We're talking about the Spirit of God coming in such a way and in such a sustained way that the people of God are changed and transformed and God wakens people in the streets, that people fall to their knees because the awareness of His presence has become so strong and so thick that people cannot not almost respond to His presence. And as that happens, there will be an awareness of sin, a need for repentance, a desire to posture ourselves and humble ourselves before the Lord. There will come, as we receive His forgiveness, a joy inexpressible. There will come all sorts of signs, of manifestations of that joy. It will be a glorious thing, and the burden of God Himself is thrust onto mankind. Okay? Let me just give you a few more quotes of people throughout history who have talked about revival, just to try and whet your appetite for where we're going with this. Okay, Arthur Wallace says this, It is God revealing himself to man in awful holiness and irresistible power. It is such a manifest working of God that human personalities are overshadowed and human programs abandoned. It is man retiring into the background because God has taken the field. It is the Lord making bare his holy arm and working in extraordinary power on saint and sinner. Edwin Orr, who described the 1958 American revival. It was a divine influence that seemed to pervade the land, and men's hearts were strangely warmed by a power that was outpoured in unusual ways. Anything in your heart long for that? Anything in your heart long for a time? when there's a divine influence that pervades the land. Imagine walking around Lurgan with a divine influence. Just imagine for a moment. Imagine your street. Imagine your street waking up and going out the work, and a divine influence is pervading your street, making hearts strangely warmed by a power that was outpoured in unusual ways. And then Jonathan Edwards, I like this one. Revival is an acceleration of the normal work of the Holy Spirit. In other words, during times of revival, what takes 20 years to see 20 people saved, you can see 200 people saved in a day. I don't have the answers for that, but that's what happens in times of revival. There is an acceleration of the work of the Holy Spirit. Essentially, it's when the people of God are being so renewed that society will be transformed to reflect something of the kingdom of God. Fire of God comes in such a way that it spills out into different forms that transform the world around us, recognizable changes in societies. And so <clears throat> throughout history, there's been these moments. There's been these incredible moments where the Holy Spirit has poured himself out. And it's not just changed the church, but it's changed society. It's actually flourished humanity in ways. Let me, um, let me keep you, keep you kind of working here. Oh, sorry, not that one. Let me, let me read this to you, okay? James Burns. Progress we see occurs through revival. Any progress is like the incoming tide. Each wave is revival. Going forward, proceeding, and being followed by another. To the onlooker, it seems as if nothing is gained, but the force behind the ebb and flow is the power of the tide. So it is with the nations. One will rise and carry human progress to a zenith. Having done so, it falls back and another replaces it. Thus, the progress of humanity 
has continued through successive revivals. You have to ask yourself the question, if you know a little bit of history even, where would the world have been? Like there's some pretty bad stuff's happened in the world over the last 2,000 years, particularly since Jesus went back. What would have happened? What would have happened if God had never moved? Where would slavery be now? Where would the, <clears throat> the progress of women and their place in society, where would children and their place, where would all of those things have been without moves of God? You dread to think. You dread to think where things would have been. The secularists will not admit it, but it is moves of God that have brought forward the flourishing of society. And so we want and we long for a move of God that will be great for us. Great for us, but it'll cost us a lot. It will change and transform us, but it will move beyond into the streets around us. And, um, and this is what we th see throughout revival history. And so tonight, I want to try for sort of the rest of the time, just to give you a brief overview of how God has moved in history. Is that okay? You, you still with me? I, I don't want this to feel like a history lesson, all right? So please try, please try and stay with me. But I, I do feel it's really, really important. I'm going to refer over the next couple of weeks more specifically to certain parts of certain revivals. But just a quick, broad sweep of how God has moved throughout history so that we can then um, understand how it is in our time. So, in, um, so I'm, I'm, I'm doing this for two reasons. First of all, to stir your imagination for awakening. See, the, the Bible says that one generation commends your works to the other. We want to know what God has done before. If you don't know what God has done before, without sounding like um, critical, your prayers are going to be probably wimpy. Right? If you don't know what God has done before, if you don't know that God has acted before, in the in obviously the story of the Bible, but obviously throughout history, then our prayers are not going to be intelligent enough and faith-filled enough to see the change and transformation that we really want to see. And so if you, if you don't know what God has done, as I said, first and foremost in the Bible, how God split the seas, how God brought water out of rocks, how God did the miraculous, how God provided for his One generation told these works to the other, not for nostalgia, but in order to build faith so that we could step into the spiritual inheritance that is ours, right? So there is a spiritual inheritance in us understanding that the mothers and fathers of our faith, stretching back over 2,000 years, made certain breakthroughs in the spirit that we get to live into. And it's a shame that sometimes we're not living into the inheritance that cost them often their lives because we're a wee bit ignorant. We just don't know. And so that's why it's important to school yourself with the stories of faith of what God did has done. I, I challenge you, take 15 minutes off your social media over the next week and just commit yourself to reading about things that God has done in history before and let your heart come alive. Let your heart get defibrillated from reading. You know, like it would be much better than the Daily Mail gossip column or something. Like I know you'd like to see what's going on in Pasha's life or something, but if you read like 15 minutes of revival history, what could it maybe do to our hearts? How could it maybe change and shape how we pray and how we seek God for the future in which we're living into? And so first of all, we need to know this so that we can stir our imaginations so we can actually fix our gaze on what it could be like. And secondly, we want to do this because we want to be able to pray with faith, do it again. If we're saying, God, do it again, and you don't know what the again is, then it's really hard to pray it. And so it's important for us to have an understanding of what and God has done, what God can do, so that we can say, this is a kind of signature verse of this series with Habakkuk, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in order of your deeds. Repeat them in our day. We want to know our spiritual inheritance. And so let me quickly just say what God has done in the past. I'm going to try and keep this as brief and as snappy as possible, right? We know that it all, after Jesus went back to heaven at Pentecost, and the movement of the Spirit, God did some wonderful things through his people who were surrendered to him. In the first 300 years of the church, from Jesus went back to heaven to say, A.D. into the 300s, right, there was serious kind of growth and movement. From A.D. 100, there was 25,000 Christians. In A.D. 310, there was 20 million, okay? 
from 25,000 to 20 million in 300 years. That's serious growth. God was at work. But then there came the time when the church kind of co-opted itself as part of the state, got corrupted by power and the hierarchy, and for the next thousand years, really, became known as the Dark Ages, right? You've probably heard people refer to that. Not pretty accurate. There were some shining lights. One of the great shining lights was this country in and around four and 500 AD when St. Patrick came to... Um, oh, thought I had pictures. Yeah, let me see. There. When St. Patrick came to Saul, that's in Down Patrick. So I went there one day in March or something, and I just sat there and said, Lord, do it again. Because in our country, a slave boy came and felt when he escaped, the Lord told him to come back. And he probably preached his first sermon here. And he asked the Lord to move in this nation. And he literally, with his compatriots and the ones who came after him, he literally changed this nation's identity. He literally changed this land's inheritance. Thousands came to Jesus from paganism, changing the nation's identity and sending missionaries to the nations, literally changing the structure of this nation and how we understand it. This is the legacy in which we live. And so, but apart from that, there wasn't really much happening in those kind of years right up until probably the beginnings of the 1500s or so. And just before that, actually, around the 1300s, 1400s, there was a little bit of an awakening from a man who was called Jan Hus, okay, or John Hus, and he was around the sort of 13th, 14th century, and he was a reformer in what is now the Czech Republic, and he railed against the establishment of the church, and he tried to bring reformation, and he spoke about things of the Lord, he spoke about personal salvation, he tried to get the priests to speak in the language of the people, not in Latin, which they couldn't really understand. And they burned him at a stake for heresy. And, uh, and so his followers kind of went underground. And during the time they were underground, then we get the times of the Reformation when Martin Luther and, and uh, John Calvin and people like that preached great doctrines of truth around justification by faith and challenged the corrupt establishment of the church and lots of other positive things which you can't underestimate, but we don't have time to get into about the Reformation. <clears throat> but the real kind of revival power of that kind of Protestant doctrine, if you like, of the Reformation and the sending of the Spirit, the outpouring of the Spirit and the sending of missionaries to the world came a bit later. And it came through the descendants of this guy, John Huss, who had been kind of underground for 200 years. And they found their way into southeast Germany as a bunch of peasants. And they came to this place and they came to the site of a wealthy young nobleman who was a believer called Lord, Z Lord Z um, Ludwig Zinderdorf. And um, he, um, he, he had taken a vow when he was young that he would be kind to people, that he would love God and take the gospel to the nations. And when these peasants landed on his site, wanting somewhere to live. He cleared land and let them live there. And these peasants started to live there. And for four or five years, they started to build a little village. And they loved the Lord, but they had disagreements. And they had disagreement after disagreement. And then they started to try and reconcile. And they went to a little church. This is the church I was at. This is Hernut, where they started to build this village in Germany. And they started to, they started to, um, they started to, they started to disagree around the scriptures, disagree around doctrine and stuff like this. And they came for a repentance service to take communion together on the 13th of August, 1727. Okay. And, um, and uh, this is the church outside. So this little church here, right? Just, just, just think, like, this is honestly, it's like the back end of nowhere, right? And in 1727, the Holy Spirit fell on this church. <laughs> the Holy Spirit fell on this church in a way that changed the world. And the reason I show you this is this feels like, I'll show you in a few wee pictures of random church history, right? This is your spiritual inheritance. I, I don't want to sound dramatic, but we might not have been here if this moment in history did not happen. Because the Holy Spirit fell on these Moravian peasants, broke out amongst them, initiated a 100-year prayer movement, and in those 100 years, after 65 years, they sent out 300 missionaries all over the world, taking the gospel of Jesus. That ignited the next great 
awakening in Britain and America. And for over 100 years, there was different waves of revival. We see George Whitfield, we hear of John Wesley, Charles Finney. These are all names of people who were significant figureheads in these revivals, and hundreds and thousands came to faith. And the mission movement, we think missions has been going on. It hasn't. Only the last two, three hundred years, we actually see global missions happening in the, in, in the way that we do now. And so we had people like William Carey, Charles Hudson Taylor, people like this who were released into mission. And the revival then came to our own shores in 1859 to a little place called Kells because four men, young men, decided they would take over a schoolhouse and pray for their non-Christian friend. Within six months, their non-Christian friend had come to the Lord. Within a few more months, some of the rest of their friends had come to the Lord. And then a revival broke out that within the guts of a year, 100,000 people had come to faith in Northern Ireland just 150 years ago, right? When was the last time we saw 100,000 people saved in that amount of time? It's happened. It's happened already in our land. And throughout these years, as people came to faith, all sorts of social reforms happened. The outbreak of the Spirit went into different forms of society. William Wilberforce abolished slavery. We saw prison reform, anti-slavery societies, relief agencies for the poor, numerous mission societies. All of these were started. Hospitals were built. Schools multiplied. The Sunday school movement started. Serious social reform and the transformation of a whole nation came because the Holy Spirit detonated a bunch of Moravians in 1727, ignited a night and day prayer meeting that lasted for a hundred years, and the gospel went to the nations. George Muller, I'll give you an example, he was one. George Muller, he cared for 10,024 orphans. He started 117 schools. He educated 120,000 kids, and in the 1800s, he raised 90 million pounds to do it. And he was accused, this is what he was accused of, raising the poor above their natural state. Imagine having that on your tombstone. I raised the poor above their natural state. Yeah? And then at the beginning of this century, the 1900s, there was a desire for the Holy Spirit. They had seen God do some great things, but they'd read some other stuff in the book of Acts that they still weren't seeing. The way the Holy Spirit fell at Pentecost, they were longing. What would that look like? What would it like if people were released in new tongues? And so people started to hunger and thirst after the Spirit. They'd heard John Wesley and people like that in the awakening before talk about like a second blessing, like, a, like an empowerment of grace to come towards utter and entire sanctification. And at the start of 1900, revival fire started to burn. One of the most significant was in Wales, not too far from here. In 1904, a young man called Evan Roberts, former coal miner, hungered after the Lord, started to pray for revival with other young people. And the outpouring of the Spirit came, and in four months, 100,000 people had come into the Lord. Crime decreased, people reconciled, people paid off their debts, and there was a resurgence of faith on Wales. And the ripple effects of what happened in Wales went around the world. And there was a young man in California called Frank Bartleman, who was an intercessor. And this is what, oh, this is what he, um, I think I've got this one. This is what he prayed. The current of revival is sweeping by our door. This could be our prayer tonight, okay? The current of revival is sweeping past our door. Will we cast ourselves on its mighty bosom and ride the glorious victory? A year of life at this time with its wonderful possibilities for God is worth a hundred years of ordinary life. Pentecost is knocking at our doors. The revival for our country is no longer a question. Slowly but surely, the tide has been rising until in the very near future, we believe for a deluge of salvation that will sweep all before it. Wales will not stand alone in the glorious triumph for our Christ. The clouds are gathering rapidly, big with a mighty rain whose precipitation lingers but a little. Heroes will rise from the dust of obscure and despised circumstances whose names will be emblazoned on heaven's eternal pages of fame. The spirit is brooding over our land again as that creation's dawn and the fate of God goes forth. Let there be light. Brother, sister, if we all believed God can, you realize what would happen? Many of us here are living for nothing else. A volume of believing prayer is ascending to the throne night and day. Los Angeles, Southern California, and the whole continent shall surely find itself here in, law, in the throes of a mighty revival by the spirit and power of God. And a few months later, in a little back street in L.A., a few people, after a time of prayer and fasting, calling out to God to come and move in their lives and in the city, 
And William Seymour, who was the one-eyed slave of a, who's the one-eyed son of a slave owner, black man in South, uh, in Southern California, and all sorts of racism existed. And God chose him to be the leader, and he prayed for a man called Edward Lee, and the Holy Spirit fell upon him in the back streets of LA, and he started to speak in tongues. And they went to the little house up the street where they were gathered to meet. And this man who had just started to speak in tongues started to pray over the whole kind of room. And everybody else started to speak in tongues. And the Holy Spirit fell on the room. And before long, they had to move to this place called Azusa Street to a little house, sort of a little building there. And for three years, night and day, people came from all over the world and encountered the Holy Spirit in radical, radical ways. And when they came, the Holy Spirit would loose them in tongues, and they realized that the tongues that they were starting to speak in, some were speaking in Chinese, they were speaking in nations of Africa, dialects of people of African tribes, and when they realized that they were speaking the language of a dialect that they didn't know the language before, they found a way in 1906 to get themselves on a boat and go to those countries and share the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit falls. They tell us that in that old building, this is a quote, with its low rafters and bare floors, God took stronghold of men and women to pieces and he put them back together again. He goes on to say, strong men lay for hours under the mighty power of God, cut down like grass. That was the, that was the start of the century. It's interesting, you know, then, in 1910, right, 1910, in Edinburgh, the World Missionary Convention, right? So all of this has been gathering weight. You see, there, there wasn't like loads happening up to 1500, right? And so I, I know like when we're sitting here today, it feels like 1500 like years away, but in the grand scheme of 2000 years, right? There's an intensity that's been picking up. That's what I want you to try and get tonight. We're part of something that's building momentum over the centuries. And we're at a place now, in 1910, this is what I want you to do. This is only 100 years ago. 1,200 leaders of the church met in Edinburgh, and there was a real fervency and a real enthusiasm that in their lifetime, maybe they could reach the world for Jesus Christ. In 1910, they came together. The conference was called the Evangelization of the World in this Generation. Can you imagine? I kind of love to have been there. 1910, they're all there thinking, we can, could we see the return of the Lord before we die? Could we see the whole world of Anza? 1910. All of this stuff had been happening around the world. The revivals that had happened, the early part of the 1900s with the spirit had fallen. Missionary fervor, 1910. Can we reach, can we reach the world with the good news of Jesus? Now, those of you who know your history, what happened a few years later? The very countries that were present, North America, Germany, the UK, loads of countries from Northern Europe all gathered together to one, walk out how they could win the world for Jesus. And a few years later, they're blowing each other to smithereens. The enemy had an agenda too. And the backlash came. But the Church of Jesus didn't go away. And after World War II, we read of the Hebrides, the Spirit of God moving in these little islands off the north coast of Scotland. Incredible scenes as people come under repent. People in discos just fall under their knees as the Spirit of God comes upon them, crying out to God, repenting of their sin. Young people falling in the fields, falling on the roads, just coming under the power of God as God broke into people's lives. And then in the, in, the, in, the, in the 60s in America, with the vineyard movement, Bob Dylan was singing, the times are changing in the world because the Spirit of God was moving. The Jesus movement happened where young people would have been sitting reading their Bibles in university, and the Spirit of God, like a wind, came into the room. And they were just undone by his presence and his power. Drug addicts were saved. Young people, the hippie movement had a move of the Spirit. They reckon that 50 young people a day were coming to know Jesus, and they were baptizing 250 a week on the north, on the west coast of America. There's one of the pictures of the scene. We were there when we were in America. It's a nice place to get baptized, to be fair. But there was 
250 maybe a week being baptized. They reckon they baptized 10,000 in two years. John Rimber reckons that 3 million people were converted through the Jesus movement. And we see the rise of the Pentecostal movement, the rise of the Vineyard movement, and the gift that has been to the church. Incredible scenes throughout history. I just tell you that in a really short way to tell you. In every place I've been to, <laughs> and I've re, kind of tried to relive what happened, this is, this is my prayer. God, do it again in our time. God, we have heard of your deeds. We have heard of your fame. Now repeat them in our day. Are we ready for it? Can we handle it? Are we prepared for what it means? Those are all the questions I've been trying to ask myself this year. And so in August this year, when Rick and I were in um, Hernut, which actually is German for the Lord's Watch, and we were sitting up about 11 o'clock, pitch black, looking over that little village, and Rick said, Al, what do you want to pray for? What's your prayer? And I said, Rick, it's really simple. Do it again. And so we prayed. And we prayed our hearts out that night. God, do it again. Would you do it in Lurgan? Would you do it in Kirkavon? Because, you know, her not, honestly, you, there's nothing special about it. It's a little village. In fact, there's part of it that was a bit anticlimactic, if I'm being honest, going to it. And yet, in the midst of it all, we realize this is what God can do when he gets a people who are committed to him. And so where is our place in this? Well, as I said earlier, I don't think we're living in a time of revival at the moment. But I would like to, re- I would like to propose to us that we could be of one mind in this. And I'm open to take feedback from this, by the way. I think we're in, this, I think we're in, the, in the place of renewal. I think we're on in, in, halfway along the process of renewal. I think there's more renewal that needs to come in our lives. But as we watch people get saved over the last number of years, as we watch people come through things like Ignite and the Holy Spirit get a hold of them, we see people being renewed with fervor and passion and desire for the Lord. As we see God move in our times together here, we see him, he's renewing, he's renewing. But it's all moving towards something bigger and more than all of that, an outbreaking of his spirit. And, um, and, and so I just believe, as I kind of finish for tonight, I just, I just believe that there is, a, so this is what I think, right? I think there is a wave, there's a, there's a wave coming, a wave of God's spirit. And I, th- I think it's a big one. But as I've researched waves <laughs> over the last wee while, I've realized that waves actually have nothing to do with the moon, apparently, even though we think they do. Um, the ocean surface waves that we see rolling onto the beach are caused by one thing. Anyone know what it is? It's wind. So right out there in the sea somewhere, the wind generates the wave, and the wave starts to move towards the land. And as it moves towards the land, because the bottom part of the wave starts to hit the shore, as it gets shallower and shallower, the top bit starts to flip over, and then we see the crest of the wave break as we would when we're at the beach. And my proposal to you tonight is, as a community of churches here together, I feel that the wind has generated the wave out at sea. I believe it's already started. I believe it's moving towards us. And I believe we need to get ourselves ready. When the wave breaks, everything changes. Things change in our lives. Things change in our churches. Things change in our budgets. Things change with our families. Things just change. But they change for the better. Because Jesus and his taken his rightful place. And so when I was on holidays this summer... It was great joy in Portugal, just at the end of August there, to play with the kids, Annie and Aaron, as the waves broke. And they're at that age now where we could do that thing, you know, where as the wave broke, I could kind of show them how to, like, jump on just at the right time and how the wave would bring them in. And we had lots of fun doing that. And I suppose part of me and what I'm living for is to pray in, you know, the wave of the Spirit of God that I feel is already generated out there at sea, so that my kids, my kids get to experience what it's like 
when the wave breaks and they're able to jump on and experience the peace and the presence of the living God coming with manifest power and might to change their lives, to change the lives of friends. That's, that's what I think God is calling us to position ourselves for. And so I think you say, oh, why are you so optimistic? Well, because every one of these revivals came when it was really, really dark. And this in front of us is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to rise up, rather probably to start by kneeling down and to pray in the next move of the Spirit of God in this nation. I really don't want, I really don't want to miss it. And I really don't want to give everything I have so that those who come behind us can experience it. Maybe the band would come. I have a few other things to say, but I'm just going to leave it there because I've gone on longer than I wanted to. And we're going to pick this up and look at some of the patterns of revival that I think God wants to really speak to us about next couple of nights. And so I'd love you to think about those. But tonight, I just, I just wanted to give you a sense of what God can do. And I wanted to ask the Holy Spirit to stir our imaginations to be able to pray that prayer. Lord, do it again. In Isaiah chapter, um, is that still on? In Isaiah chapter, let me see. I think I have it at the very end, sorry. No, I don't. Let me read it to you. In Isaiah chapter 30, it says this. This is in the message. The master said, these people make a big show of saying the right thing, but their hearts aren't in it. It's because they act like they're worshiping me, but don't mean it. This is what God says. I am going to step in and shock them awake, astonish them, stand them on their ears. The wise ones who had it all figured out will be exposed as fools. The smart people who thought they knew everything will turn out to know nothing. The wisdom of the world, it's just proven itself folly. At the minute, it's just, culture is just exhausting itself. We're watching things in the news and we're thinking, how on earth have we got here? And for all the promise of how culture is going to save itself, it's just destroying itself internally. And God, I think, is saying, in his judgment, he's bringing mercy. In your wrath, God, remember mercy. And God wants to pour out his mercy in a world that is breaking his heart. And so, just before we even sing here, we're singing that's a done. If you just feel like, Alan, I'm just, if you just think, I feel like I'm with you tonight. If that's kind of what's going on in your spirit, not with me, sorry, I should say it, but just what I'm saying, it just feels I'm, I'm, with, I'm with what the Spirit is doing. I think the Spirit is speaking. And I just feel like I want to be in whatever God's doing. And I want the Holy Spirit to come and awaken my imagination for what this could be like and what it's going to mean for me. If that's you, I just want you to stand where you are right now. Please don't feel any pressure. And if you're comfortable, if you're not comfortable, that's okay. But I just felt when I was praying, I'd love to encourage you to, to reach your hands up to heaven. If you're comfortable just doing that, because I'd just love to pray for you. I feel like the Holy Spirit just wants to impart power in the room tonight. And so let's just pray, Lord. Lord Jesus, we love you. Your fame and your renown is the desire of our souls, God. Your fame and your renown, God. We want to be so careful, Lord, that this is all about you and this is all for your glory. And so I ask right now in the name of Jesus, oh God, the spirit, oh God, of reviving, renewing power would start right now in us, God. Come right now in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, I ask you to increase your presence in this place. Let your spirit come. Let your power come right from your throne, God, for what you're doing, God, in this nation and in this world in these days, God, we want what is going on in heaven to start pulsing through our bodies right now. So increase your presence, Holy Spirit, in this place. Increase your presence. I just feel like some of you 
when it started even feeling almost like an electrical current going through your body. It's going to feel maybe a bit like that. It just felt like that was one of the things the Lord was saying beforehand. And just, so just, just if that's happening to you, just, just say more. God, go more. More, God. Just to carry the spirit and the dynamic of revival in our hearts, God, and what that means. Just increase your power right now in the name of Jesus. Let it go right through us, O oh God. Let it go right through us. Lord, I pray that the dormant seeds, O oh God, of what it was to taste and to know your presence, O oh God, they would come alive now in the name of Jesus. Spirit of the living God, Lord, we speak to these dormant seeds, O oh God, and we say, come alive in the name of Jesus. We pray, Lord, for an imagination of the manifold wisdom of God for your church in these days in order to be all that you've called us to be. God, we love you and we long for you in these days. And our desire is your fame and your glory and your renown. And so we worship you in the name of Jesus. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.